Okay, so when we hear the word whatever, and that is the name of this series that we're starting today, it's based on Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. That's our key passage for this series. We're going to be looking at that in just a moment. But when you hear the word whatever, here's what I have noticed, and, and maybe you will have noticed this too, that there's, there's two um, ideas, I think, that get conveyed when we use the word whatever. One of the ideas, I think, is a, a dismissive idea, Right? So someone says something, you don't like it, you don't agree with it, whatever, right? It's a, it's a, I'm not listening to you anymore, it's a, your words have no value to me, just whatever. Like, you can say what you want to say, whatever, right? That's a dismissive idea that gets conveyed with this word, whatever. And then I would say another idea that gets conveyed when you use the word is more of a permissive idea, which is like, um, hey, can I do that? Whatever, you know, hey, what about this? Yeah, whatever. And we know it's not like when you, like when Drew asks me what I want for dinner and I say whatever, he knows that I don't really mean whatever. Um, he, but, but that's often what, you know, it's like a permissive thing, like whatever, anything. So dismissive or permissive is how often this, the idea of whatever is conveyed. That's not what we're talking about today. That's not what we're going to talk about in this series. We're not going to look at the dismissive ways we use whatever in our language or the permissive ways we use the word whatever in our language. We're, we're actually going to zero in on something much higher and much more holy, if you will. All right? So in, in Philippians chapter 4, what we find is uh, the Apostle Paul is doing what he does, and you read it in all of his epistles and his letters that he wrote. He is building up the church. He's encouraging the church. At times, he is um, he's calling out the church. He might be you know, bringing a little conviction to the church uh, and maybe correction to them, if you will. But he is building up the church, and he's written this letter to Philippians, and he's talking to them, and he's trying to help them be healthy and, and, and uh, purposeful, and he wants them to have a solid foundation under them in the name of Christ. This is what he does. This is his ministry. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 8, Paul gives the church a list of what I would call our holy whatevers. Not dismissive whatevers or permissive whatevers, but holy whatevers. And here they are. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So, Paul doesn't say, hey, just focus on whatever. Oh, you're a Christian? Focus on whatever. Oh, you're a church just starting to get started here? Oh, do whatever. He doesn't say this. He says he wants them to focus. He wants them, here's what he does. He wants them to think about specific godly attributes, because that's what these are, these, these uh, godly attributes, and he's putting them within a structure. He's not doing the permissive whatever anything goes. He's putting them, he's saying, look, church, think about these things. And it's really important to note that because as strange as it may sound to our ears, hear this, freedom in Christ is created by godly boundaries. 
The freedom in Christ that you experience as a follower of Jesus is actually created by godly boundaries. God has set some boundaries for us. And a lot of us know those boundaries because we spent time outside of those boundaries. And then we got to know Jesus and we realized, wow, he's got something better for me, different for me, and I want to bring myself inside of this. This is what Paul's writing about. See, when we use the word freedom, we don't often think boundaries, right? It's kind of like, what? No, it's that permissive whatever. Anything goes. But it's that freedom that we receive when we believe in Jesus Christ. What it does is it ushers us into this life. And what does it do? It, it, it defines us. We, we live in, in this words that you've heard us say before, joyful obedience. Joyful obedience to God's word. We're called to joyful obedience in his word. Perfect example of that I think, and I actually just thought of it this morning as I was getting ready, so I didn't give it to them in the back to put it up there. But I was thinking about this, this freedom and boundaries. And there's an example in John chapter 8, you go read it later, um, where uh, it's a well-known story where some religious leaders um, caught a man and a woman, though we often just hear about the woman, <laughs> caught a man and a woman in a sexually immoral act, right? They were committing adultery. And they got the woman and they brought her before Jesus and the religious leaders and they were like, what are you going to do? Now, because the the punishment for that was you throw rocks at them until they're dead. That was the punishment. And so they were testing Jesus to see what he was going to do. And so he, he says to them, whichever one of you is without sin, you can pick up the first rock and you can throw it at her. And of course... They don't. They, they were convicted by that reality, and so they all just kind of walked away. So there's this woman. Don't know where the dude is. He didn't get brought before him. That's the, but so there she is, and they've all left, and Jesus asks her, you know, where, where is everybody? Why didn't anyone? And she goes, he said, has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And then he says these words to her. He says, I, I don't condemn you either. I, I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I don't condemn you either. Now, when the Savior of the world says he doesn't condemn you, friends, that is a sign of forgiveness and grace and love. Okay, so that's exactly what just happened there. That she realized that there was freedom available to her in Jesus Christ. He says, I do not condemn you. Could he have? Yes. Every right to? Yes. According to the law? Yes. He didn't. But then, and this is, to me, the most important part, He then sets up a godly boundary for her. He sets up a boundary for her to now operate within because he says, I don't condemn you either. Now go and leave your life of sin. So don't go back and keep doing what you were doing. Leave that. I don't condemn you. I offer forgiveness to you, but now go and leave that life. See, freedom in Christ is created by godly boundaries. Now, so here's what Paul is saying in, in, verse, in chapter 4, Philippians. He says, think about whatever, not permissive or dismissive, right? But he says, think about whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. These, this is the structure, And then he goes on to say in verse 9, he says, Now, whatever you have learned or received 
or heard from me or seen in me. So he's talking about his witness as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's saying, whatever you've seen in me, put that into practice. Put these attributes into practice. Now, he uses a Greek word there for practice. It's, it's the word proso, and it, it just, it, what it means, it's a continual practicing. It's not a, hey, try it once kind of a deal. Like the list that, that Paul gives is not, hey, try to be true and noble once. No, it's a ongoing continuation. Live this into your life all the time. It means to perform repeatedly. It means to make a habit of doing. So Paul says, make a habit of these godly attributes. Make a habit of these. Put them into practice. And then he goes on to say, and I love this part. He says, he ends verse 9 saying, and, so if you do these things, you think about these things, and now you practice these things. Remember orthodoxy and orthopraxy we've talked about, the, the thoughts and the actions. He says, you do those things, and then the God of peace will be with you. God's peace will be with you. How many of us have wandered outside of or lived outside of the godly boundaries that he's had for us and the last thing we felt was peace? Drama, problems, over and over again, kind of seems like they just repeat, like they're just on a repeat cycle. You know, there's, there's times, that, and, and I know in my testimony and maybe yours and, and maybe people that you know and you're, you've talked to, you've counseled, you, you want them to know Jesus. And what you find is you talk to them is you can kind of peel back layer after layer and you just see like a continuation of, my goodness, where is Jesus in all this? And it's just like a series of bad decision and bad choice and, and, and living without boundaries. Well, what... What Paul is saying is, you know, we, we think about and we act upon these godly attributes and we actually experience God's peace. That's what's available to us, is the peace of God. And as I think a lot of you are aware, a lot of you are aware, peace is not a word that we could really attach to our current circumstance in the denomination we're in, in the United Methodist denomination. There is a theological divide. It's actually been there since, since the United Methodist Church formed in, in 1968. Um, even then, they weren't quite, it was a couple of different denominations that formed together, and they weren't quite on the same page on everything. And nothing was, was like crazy, but it just left a couple of doors open for I don't know, permissive whatevers? Maybe dismissive whatevers? But peace is not where we find ourselves right now. Um, and in this, here's what I mean by theological divide. I've mentioned it before. Uh, we talked about it in our last series. But what I, what I mean, first of all, by this divide, what I can see is that there is zero evidence that this divide is, is, is coming back together peacefully. That there's a healing happening that is bringing this divide together. No, it's ever widening. And what I mean by theological divide is that there are bishops they oversee. There's like bishops that oversee whole conferences and under them are district superintendents and underneath them are the local pastors. 
And what you find is that there are bishops and there are, there, are, there are pastors, there are leaders within the denomination and they're doing this, this is the divide. They're saying that the Bible is flawed. That it's not the inerrant word of God, that it's actually flawed, that there are problems with it. There are those who say that it's impossible for Jesus to have been born of a virgin. That, that miracles are not probable or possible. There are those that say that the crucifixion is too gross to talk about, so stop talking about it. Stop talking about what Christ did and what he endured for the salvation of the world. There are those that say that um, there's, there's, really, there's no need for language about confession or about calling people to repentance because it makes people feel bad. This is the theological divide. There, there are those who say that there are actually other ways to salvation besides Jesus. That there are other ways to eternal life with God and you don't have to go through Jesus. That's what some people are saying. There are some who are saying that the examples that we have of marriage in the Bible is way too narrow and it should be expanded. And there are those who would say that the, the ordination boundaries that have been set up in our denomination, again, are way too small and they should be enlarged. And so when you step back and ponder this, and these are just some of the examples, by the way, this, the, the, not all of them. This, is, this list is not complete. But do you see a dismissive whatever? Is it possible that you, you see a permissive whatever in regard to this? So I'll repeat, I'll repeat like the main thought of this morning, which is freedom in Christ is created by godly boundaries. Our freedom is created by godly boundaries. And here's what happens. When those boundaries, right? And I don't mean people made up boundaries. I'm talking from God's word, like this is what he has inspired and written and shown to us. When those boundaries are dealt with with a permissive or a dismissive whatever mindset. And they start, those boundaries start to be crossed or they start to be ignored or they start to be busted through or torn down or rewritten or, or stretched beyond its limits. What happens is, is that a decisive separation becomes a reality. And that's where we are. Because a decisive separation has, has already begun. Sixteen churches in South Georgia in the last two years have left the United Methodist Church. They've, they've left. Some, some of them paying some, some high exit fees to do so. Several more churches in South Georgia are voting and, and at the place to depart from the denomination. We need to pray for our friends down the road at Park Avenue who will be voting uh, this Wednesday night on whether they should remain or leave the United Methodist Church. A month ago, your ministry board unanimously decided together to, to bring this decision uh, to the conversation, to bring it to you, the congregation. And um, after that, we uh, started the process of notifying uh, different people in the conference and whatnot. But then I invited um, 
your community group leaders and your serve team leaders to, to participate because we, we wanted more voices in the conversation. We wanted more people to be heard and more people to, to listen as well. And so it's almost about 30 people. And we've met three times now. Uh, we'll meet a few more as well. And then we, we held a church-wide presentation here um, the 22nd of February, and the Q&A session to ask questions. We sent out a survey that, that, that some of you took. I know like 25% of you took because I saw the response. And I don't know a lot about surveys, so I didn't know how that was. But I was talking to a ministry colleague, and they were like, you know, oh, you did a survey? Yes, we did a survey. And, and they said, well, how, what was the return? And I said, well, uh, 25% of our... Um, of our ministry partners. And they were like, you're kidding. And I was like, oh, really? Is that, and they're like, no, no, that's great. Like, if you can get 10% on a survey, you're doing fantastic. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So we, we did, good job, everybody. Those of you that replied, excellent. Um, but we got a response. And, and so the understanding of that is if, if people are working off 10% of surveys to get an idea of kind of the pulse of, of, the, of, of groups, um, then 25% is, is really good. And, and I just want to show you two of these. Um, you'll see up here with, with just under 10% um, who were uncertain at the time of taking the survey, um, over 86%, it was like 86.7, I believe, of ministry partners surveyed said they, they supported leaving the denomination when we sent out this survey. And then, um, overwhelming, this was... Um, it was good to read it, I'll say that. But overwhelmingly, 96% of the, of the people who participated in the survey said that they supported paying whatever fees might be necessary. Now, not whatever, there was a, a range there that would be necessary to, to actually finish this process out. This past Tuesday, uh, March 1st, we met with uh, leadership, or met with our leadership met with the district superintendent who is. Uh, my direct superior uh, in our area. And I will say that um, I will admit to you that at this point in everything, I, I am a little calloused. I mean, I am, and I, I confess that to you, and, and I pray about that often. I want to have open ears. I want to. But there was a desire, um, and I heard it from uh, several people, there was a desire to hear from our district superintendent when we met, to hear, like, reasoning as to why it was a bad idea for us to, to even have this conversation, why it was a bad idea for us to even go and even think about going in this direction. Like, you all ever do that? Like, when you're making a decision, like, you really want to know, like, hey, if I'm making a bad call here, would someone please speak up, right? That's kind of how we were. And, and there were those that really wanted to hear that, and we didn't hear anything. And the, the, the best... That, that we heard, when we were asked why did, would we want to go, why would we even want to talk about this and talk about going, we talked about these, these theological concerns, this divide that is ever-widening, and those were mentioned specifically. And the best response, the best reasoning we got in return was, but that's not happening here in South Georgia. And I... Is that permissive or whatever? Was that a dismissive whatever? That's kind of how I heard it. You know, we're part of a, a, a denomination that, that talks about connectionalism all the time, how connected we are. 
how wonderful the connection is. But then as soon as we brought up concerns theologically, suddenly the connection wasn't as important. So, at that meeting, the the 30-person leadership group reiterated the desire to bring the decision to the congregation. Um, Today, after this service, myself and one or two other leaders are going to be available in classroom one. It's on the other side of this wall. Um, For just a short, like, 30-minute Q&A with anyone that wants to come in and ask any questions whatsoever, we will be in there we will do our best to answer them. If we can't answer them right away, we will, we will do our best to, to do it. Um, next week, we're going to offer another one. It's going to be after the early service so that those who come to the early service will have an opportunity uh, between 10.30 and 11. And then again on March 20th, in two weeks, we will offer an, one more short Q&A session um, after this service in Classroom 1. So we have more opportunities to ask questions and have conversation. Now, this is really important, and I want to say this, um, and also I'm required to say this um, as part of the process of it all. So I'm supposed to, from the pulpit, announce these plans. So um, Wednesday, March 23rd, has been the date agreed upon uh, by your leadership and by the district superintendent. Wednesday, March 23rd at 6 p.m., every ministry partner, um, you might know that term better as member on the roll, Uh, Every ministry partner present will be able to cast a vote on whether to remain in the United Methodist Church or to leave it. Disaffiliate is the official term. We can't do proxies, can't do absentees, got to be here. And the vote passes by two-thirds majority of that vote. Now, I want to make something really, really, really clear. I think it's important to make this clear Going forward, nothing is going to change in the day-to-day, Sunday-to-Sunday functioning of the Porch Community Church. We're going to be who we are in our DNA. Nothing about that is going to change. I did insert a caveat at 9.30, and I think I will share it with you as well. I do believe one thing will change. I believe we'll see revival. And I believe we'll see renewal. And I'll see, I, I, I believe we will see, um, I think there's been an invisible boundary that a lot of us haven't noticed, or maybe you have, that has kept people from, from participating or coming and being a part of our church. Now, is this the only church in town where you can hear about Jesus? Absolutely not. But I'm saying I think there's been a boundary. So I think we'll experience revival. I think we'll experience renewal. I truly believe that. I, I truly feel that in, in, in the innermost part. So we'll be here on the 23rd. Nothing about us is going to change in the meantime. We're going to continue to live with this DNA of who we are. And, and I say this, and I mean this so much, is like we will continue to be people who are are living our lives away from this place because we get together once a week and spend time together and celebrate who God is. But then we live our lives out there, right? The other 167 hours of our life, 
And there are people who are starving for truth and authenticity. And I believe that we're going to live that out and reveal that. And let's continue to do that. It's what we're doing now. Let's do it as we go forward. Now, I want to, got to say this too. Three-step process to all this. First, we have a congregational vote. Wednesday, March 23rd at 6 p.m. If that vote were to pass... In June, at our South Georgia, at our annual conference in the lovely city of Columbus, Georgia, the tourist capital of Georgia, I don't know if that is. Um, <laughs> in June, we, this, our vote to disaffiliate will be brought before the entire annual conference along with any other churches that have voted And together the churches will be presented and by a majority vote of yay or nay, they will approve the disaffiliation or not. Now historically, to date, no church has ever been denied at annual conference what they voted on as a congregation. Let's hope that that history continues. (laughs) Um, that's That's step two. And then the third step is if the annual conference passes that, then we would pay a, a yet unknown disaffiliation cost to the conference. And once that is paid, then the, the process is complete. Let me, let me go back to the main thought of today. Because everything I've said, I'm saying within this. Freedom in Christ is created by godly boundaries. And those boundaries... In regard to the United Methodist denomination, up to this point, this moment today, are very, very, very blurry. And so I would ask you to please be in prayer. Please be in prayer. Please pray for God's continued wisdom to be given to leadership, to conference leaders, to denominational leaders. There are so many things that could happen and decisions could be made that would make things so much easier for churches to go their separate ways and live out ministry the way that they, would, they think they need to do so. But pray, pray, pray. Pray that the gospel of Jesus, this, is, this has been my prayer. I've mentioned it to our leaders. I say it all the time when people say, hey, we're praying for you. I say, thank you. Would you please pray that Jesus Christ be the most important thing on our hearts and on our minds at all times? Would you do that? Would you pray that? So as the band comes back out and those who are going to be serving you communion in just a moment, come and prepare to do that. I'd ask you if you would uh, pray with me in this really important time. Father, as your sons and as your daughters, as co-heirs with Christ Jesus, We come before you right now humbly, God. We come before you with humility, Lord Jesus, without malice in our hearts. And each and every one of us is in need of your divine grace. God, we are in need of your grace. Lord, may your thoughts also be our thoughts. And where they are not, Lord, would you change them? 
And God, may your ways be our ways. And where our ways are not, make it obvious to us so that we can realign ourselves with you. So that we can fit into the godly structure that you've given to us. God, may our steps be your steps. And where our steps are not, would you bring us back in line with you? And Lord God, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, may we think about and practice these things, not for our sake, but for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And now, Lord, as we come to the table where every single person who desires to be in relationship with you is welcome. God, may we see our need for salvation. And when we take this moment now in quiet prayer and contemplation to confess our sin before you. In the name of Jesus.